everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with Dave McMenamin, ESPN's Lakers writer, NBA reporter at ESPN. And Dave, we are here in the shadows of Crypto.com Arena. I'm still getting used to saying that. It still feels like it's like somewhere the Raiders would play. Right? <laughs> That's Not fair. Lakers, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like when the calendar changes over and you fill out a check and you still write the wrong year on it. Yeah. I get caught saying staples all the time. Yeah, yeah. But the Lakers, Dave, at 27 and 35, they've lost 11 of 14. They've lost four in a row. They haven't just lost four in a row this week here in L.A., Dave. They've gotten drilled. They're not competitive right now. And it is alarming. It is alarming to watch each night, especially at home, where you have got to find a way to win some home games and Earlier in the year when like they went through the soft part of their schedule and they're losing to the Kings and the Thunder and you go, they're going to pay for that. And now playoff teams like Dallas and the Clippers, who are a better team than they are right now, um, they're struggling to even stay in games. And, and it feels, Dave, like they are in a free fall. They are. They're tumbling quickly. The belief factor, you just don't see it out there right now. And unless they find a way to stay in the moment, it's going to be even harder because if you look ahead, they have the second hardest strength of schedule from here until April 10th. They go on the road now for most of the month of March. I think 10 of their remaining 13 games in March are on the road. That's never easy. And you can't even circle winnable games. Like we should beat them if we are a member of the Lakers. Because that's what that was supposed to be the case when they played the New Orleans Pelicans earlier this week. They lose by 28. They're booed off the court. And we should mention that as they're being booed by the fans at Crypto.com, it's not even sellout crowds anymore, uh, which uh, that adds a layer to everything going on because the Lakers are a family-owned business and uh, they may have hurt more from the financial constraints of the pandemic more than some of the other other ownership groups here they thought they were revamping this roster by adding russell westbrook to a dynamic duo that delivered a championship less than two calendar years ago and and here we are with them looking up at the playoff bracket and and holding on to dear life to some semblance of a chance of a play-in berth tell you what the 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 nba's timing of putting the play-in tournament in. You're right. It has saved them on so many levels because it's allowed the Lakers That's right. to be a part of, to have the their regular seasons be relevant down the stretch and then the postseasons. But yeah, they thought they were building it for LeBron, for Zion, I should say. Yes. But instead, it turns out they built it for LeBron. For LeBron with the Lakers. And, you know, there's this sense of, and Frank Vogel said it, because there's nothing else to say, which is, well, we'll get AD back. We're going to get Anthony Davis back, we hope. You know, still perhaps a month to go, give or take some days on on when that would be, coming back from that foot injury. And if we can just get AD and get him on the court and get in a play-in, we can make a run. And I I know people are saying it. I don't know that I sense people really believe that, Dave. Do you believe that? I mean, as someone who has been at just about every Laker game this year, I have a hard time believing it. I know the numbers do say that LeBron, AD, and Russ – in the 20 games they played together, they've gone 11 and 9. So that that is a successful team, not necessarily a championship team, but a team that wins more often than it loses. And 
if they get to that point, are they just going to lay down? Like they're going to try to win the playing game, right? And then if they get into the playoffs, let's say they play the Phoenix Suns once again. They were up 2-1 on the Suns last year in the first round. Now, Chris Paul was hurt, of mm-hmm. course, at that time. But listen, I don't think that's going to happen. But and honestly, the way they're playing right now, the playing's not even going to happen. Well, they have. Look behind them, right? You have New Orleans, who could not be more motivated to catch them, pass them. New Orleans wants to be in the postseason. And by the way, the further the Lakers drop, the better chance New Orleans gets to be able to keep that pick. Yeah, I know you reported on this the other day on NBA Today. It's a whole pick scenario where it would go to Memphis, right? Yeah, Memphis gets the pick 11 through 30. The Pelicans keep the pick 1 through 10. It was the 2000, well, obviously 2019, the Anthony Davis trade. Mm -hmm. The Lakers, as obviously part of a bigger deal, traded AD, and that pick was unprotected, meaning Pels got it no matter where the Lakers finished. And even the Lakers giving up unprotected picks at that point. Like, who cares? We got AD and LeBron James. Yeah. We're not like we're not gonna be in the lottery. Well, when the when the Pelicans traded it to Memphis this past offseason, that was in a deal to really get some money off. The Eric Bledsoe, uh, Steven Adams, they took back Jonas Valanciunas and uh, some players, but it, it saved a lot of money for the Pelicans. It kind of gave them a little more flexibility. They trade that pick to Memphis who now potentially has three first-round picks. They also have the Jazz's pick and their own. And so it's funny, Memphis early in the season, they were enjoying this Lakers slide, Mm -hmm. going, hey, we're going to get the pick 11 through 30. So instead of this pick being 25 or 28, hey, maybe it's 16 or 17. And now it's a, wow, maybe it's 12 or 13. And now the Memphis is going, wait, 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 (laughs) stop sliding. (laughs) We can't have you fall all the way out of the playoffs. And we don't get it. We, We were enjoying you losing. Uh, obviously, because they're invested in that pick. Sure. And so you have New Orleans a game behind. CJ McCollum is playing tremendous basketball. Mm-hmm. They want to be in the postseason. And then you got Portland coming up on the heels of them, who they've been a like a very hard playing, determined group. Not you know, it's certainly the roster's been turned over. It's conceivable they can get Damian Lillard back mm-hmm. at some point here. He's starting to to so like. Lakers could fall right out of this thing. Which would just be so wild, and it will continue the blame game. And I think Russell Westbrook, because of who he is, the name recognition, the former MVP status, the sometimes defiant nature that he takes in his press conference dealings, has been the face of this failure thus far. And he deserves some of that. But it's so layered because there's the question of why he was brought here in the first place and what the other options the Lakers had on the table. There's the question of is he being utilized properly by both the personnel he takes the court with and by how the coaching staff is giving him options. And is there just bad luck? Like, They've had major injuries, and I know Anthony Davis came to L.A. with the reputation of being injury-prone, and he really fought against that in his first season, played through a bunch of maladies, ended up winning the championship last year, didn't come in to the season in requisite shape because they had such a short offseason. He 
kind of owned up to the fact that some of what happened to him last year was his own doing. This year, tried to turn the page back and has just been really unlucky. He had J.D. McDaniels thrown into his knee. He came down after catching a lob on the size 20 sneaker of Rudy Gobert. Like, both those could have happened to anybody in the league, not necessarily Anthony Davis. And But when you're in a market like L.A. and you are – surrounding a player of LeBron James's stature who has now for close to two decades been obsessed with trying to do whatever he can to win championships. Like they're going to have to be major changes that, that occur if they don't pull a rabbit out of a hat and, and make some sort of miracle run. And I don't know what those major changes can be, Dave. I mean, Russell Westbrook will be on an expiring contract, $47 million next season and the last year of his deal. If there's somebody who wanted to, well, try to create a significant amount of cap space for the summer of 23, you could trade contracts moving forward mm-hmm. to the Lakers. You take back his expiring, but it's just a hard trade to make. Players who make that much money tend to only be able to be traded for players who make that much money because the buildup of the salaries, unless you're trading them in the cap space, I mean, Oklahoma City's got all the cap space in the world, but yes, the Lakers don't have more pay. Like, if they're going to, hypothetically, not saying that's a yeah. scenario here, but why Oklahoma would do that or why any team would take it on is, well, we want, we'll take on the money, but we want the picks. And can the Lakers just afford to give up picks to get money off when the idea would be to use those picks to get more players, to, to use them to trade for veteran as part of packages for veteran players not to just unload money. And and so they're in a tough spot because I don't know that you're going to get value back for Russ this offseason. But here's the yeah. philosophical thing on this for me, Adrian. Like, they're already pot committed on LeBron James, and there's only so much that he has left to give at this level. And so if you're going to have him, don't you just keep throwing whatever assets you have in order to give a chance while you have him and – let whatever happens down the line happens down the line because guess what? Before he came here, the Lakers had the worst period in their franchise history. I agree. I agree that you do whatever you can this offseason to maximize his window, whatever you think that is. My point is getting Russ's contract off and you're taking back – you're going to either take back salaries of players moving forward and you, and, and you might have to say this is who we're going to be. Right. Whoever those players are, they have two or three years left on their deal, and a team wants, you know, it's not great money going forward, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. It might be good, but not obviously not great players. Or you're using the picks to incentivize just getting Russ's contract off. Right. But it doesn't necessarily bring you back anything that helps them out. Now you've gassed your picks, and you, you're, you're, not, you're not in a position to bring back talent. So is there a way that they just keep Russ for another year and try to figure out using their picks – and then a buildup of contracts, Taylor Horton Tucker, whoever it's going to be. The problem is they mostly got guys on minimums, and then you're back in the minimum market again this offseason. It's tough. There's not an easy road. Um, when they wanted to get Anthony Davis, they had the picks. They had a few things going for them. They had you know Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, who Absolutely. had value. Josh Hart. Josh Hart. And they had all their picks. And they had a great player in Anthony Davis who was demanding to be traded to the Lakers who is making it hard in the marketplace for other teams to trade for him because 
He told them, I'm going to walk if you trade for me, so don't give up a bunch of stuff. And it worked, and they got Anthony Davis. That player's not out. I don't well. The player's not out there right now. It could change. But the team who would maybe trade that player to the Lakers would say, you don't have anything we want. We're not giving up. So they're in a much more precarious position now, and the clock's ticking with LeBron at 37 years. It's just a hard, like, there's no easy path this offseason that makes them elite again. I think the best thing that could happen to the Lakers this offseason is Anthony Davis has some sort of incredible three-month period of body maintenance, strengthening, conditioning, and some luck on his side. And they get a 28-year-old Anthony Davis next season playing 75 games like the top seven player that he is when he's fully healthy. And that and that changes the view because if he if they had him like that this year, we're still not probably talking about the Lakers meeting their exalted status as championship favorite. But it wouldn't be this. But it wouldn't be this. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Frank Vogel, listen, there was a point this season where it felt like he was game to game as coach. He's not necessarily that anymore. And I think the Lakers, and we've both done reporting on this, I think they, they would like to get through the season mm-hmm. with Frank Vogel. I think a couple of reasons. I think they're allowing for the fact of the injuries. AD and then Kendrick Nunn has not played at all this season. I don't know that Kendrick Nunn would have changed the fortunes of this team. Um, he would have helped. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing with Caruso at this point, right? Like, no. obviously, early on in the year when the Bulls were burning up the yeah the competition. but like Those players on a good team make a, help make a good team, elevate a good team. Those guys, not sure they take a bad team and make them. But, and you go back to Alex Caruso, and we could talk about, Lakers made a financial decision with Alex Caruso. Yes. He left for the mid-level exception in Chicago. He could have had that here. He, they could have paid him out of that. He probably might even take it a little less than the mid-level here. They made a financial decision to let him go. There was nothing. They didn't want to pay the luxury tax that it would have cost on him. So that's on the organization, mm-hmm. too. That's not Russell Westbrook's fault. That's not Rob Palenka's fault. That's not Frank Vogel, LeBron James's fault. That's ownership saying yes. we aren't going. We're making a financial decision. And... They paid for that when you, you know, he's a player that they, and you give him credit, like that they brought in here. They developed. Uh, he was a two-way player early, mm-hmm. right? Uh, undrafted out of Texas A&M. Comes in and just the way Austin Reeves, and you give them credit for what they've done with Austin Reeves. And they've had good drafting development stories here. Kyle Kuzma was a late first-round pick. Yep. Um, you know, that was a, a player who, you know, gained more value as he played in L.A. and they used him in trades. Caruso, you just have nothing. That those are the tough ones, Dave, where you have nothing to show for it. You you didn't use Alex Caruso 
in a trade to go get a bigger, you know, as, as, as a component of a trade package. Right. You let them walk because you didn't want to pay. You take it on the Westbrook money. And so, you know, all those things have contributed to where they are roster-wise right now. And you, it kind of looks like they go right back out into that veteran minimum market last year. And the guys who want to take a veteran minimum, L.A. has always been a great destination for guys to do that. You're playing for the Lakers. You're a contender. And you do what Malik Monk has done, which is you look back and it's insane he was a minimum player. But you've seen him increase his value. They won't be able to afford to keep him. I mean, it's going to be very difficult. Financially. Most likely not. And I'm actually working on a story. I'm glad you brought him up. Working on a story about him that's going to uh, publish mid-March just about his journey to this point and what it's going to look like in the future. And not to totally give away the story, but the machinations the Lakers will have to resign him are either 120% of the minimum, which obviously he's outplayed that, or whatever mid-level they'll have, whether it's the taxpayer or the full uh, mid-level, most likely unless they completely overhaul their roster prior to free agency, it'll be the the taxpayer mid-level. That will still be an upgrade, and, and maybe he does yet another kind of show-me type of mm-hmm. year, uh, be, knowing that the Lakers' faith in him already kind of paid off to a sense of him reestablishing who he was. Yeah. And he's going to have a central league. role with them. They don't, right. you know, you. The difference though, last summer, three teams called the Lakers, the Mavericks, the Knicks. This summer, you imagine, not only based on how much money will be out there on the market, but just the way he was able mm-hmm. to perform this year, there'll probably be more offers. So, you know, we'll see how that goes, but it'll be tough for them to keep him. Yeah. And so it's. Uh, it's going to be a challenge for this team, and as they go down the stretch, and we, you know, mention, you know, Frank Vogel, you know, I think they would like to get through this season with Frank Vogel. We talked about him. We started talking about him. That it was uh, day by day at one point, and I think we would both agree, if Jason Kidd was still on this staff, they would have made a coaching change. Absolutely. At, at some point, and I think you give David Fisdale a lot of credit for this. He's been a very loyal assistant to Frank Vogel. He has been shoulder to shoulder with him. He came in here to do that. He's done that. And I think a couple reasons that they've allowed for the injuries to, that's what got us off track there was the Kendrick Nunn right. uh, AD stuff. But also, I don't think they think it would be better. I don't think they believe, or they believed yet, that a coaching change at this point, 20 games left, 21 games left, AD out, that it would make... A real difference and and they know that the brain power they have in the room is this better with Frank Vogel mm-hmm. and David Fisdale they they don't have as experienced of a staff as they could have they Scott Brooks was a guy they wanted to have a staff with Scott Brooks and David Fisdale yes, I mean, Portland did. offered a little more money to go be the top assistant there Fizz already had the top assistant job and so the financially kind of drops down and I think might be different if you had another former head coach on the bench. And so all those factors in, they're not blaming Frank Vogel for this, but we also know it's hard for anyone to survive getting drilled every night. And you sometimes you make change for the sake of change. I think the Lakers have and are trying to resist that. That doesn't mean it can't change. You know, we've got the, we've got the Warriors coming in Saturday night on ABC. And if all of a sudden you get pounded again in that game and you feel like it can change. But right now, uh, the fact that Vogel got through this week, and I don't think it got close to them making a change. I don't think that's their mindset. 
And I think they also know if somehow we get in the play-in and we get in the postseason and we get AD back, we have a coach here who won a championship, who's coached in the playoffs, not just in L.A., but in Indiana and has success. And he gives us a chance in a playoff series, a better chance than not having him here. And I think, you know, those are all – and it's funny, you don't really hear a call for it. I don't think people – are blaming Frank Vogel for this. There's not a call for it. Maybe earlier in the year there was a little bit of that. I don't hear any of that, and I think that's right because I, I don't know that this is on him. No, I, I think the injuries are the biggest story for the Lakers season, and it's there and it's known, and I think when people like to discuss things, they'd rather discuss something that is more intriguing than, oh, just guys were hurt, and so – all the other factors come up, I think, more often than the injuries. But much like LeBron's first season in L.A., where it was Lonzo missing half the season with an angle injury and B.I. having uh, that that rare um, health scare that he went through and LeBron James missing all that time with the, the groin, all of those factors combined are the reason that season went off the rails and this season is going off the rails, more so than all the other things we're talking about. But all the other things – there are better conversations than just guys have been sidelined with injuries. I think that's part of it. But I do think as we go through this conversation, what is the trend? We talk about Alex Caruso. Uh, Money came up. We talk about uh, they didn't have Scott Brooks on this team. Money came up. Even we talk about Frank Vogel, the reason he even has a warm seat two seasons removed from winning the championship because he was only given a one-year extension – that's money again. I think if you're going to start pointing fingers at this whole operation, you have to look at the Lakers' ownership structure and, and their commitment uh, to competing in a league where the kind of norm to perennially being in contention for championships you run is living in the tax. How much of you think back to LeBron at All-Star break and his frustrations? He started. He brought up the idea of Cleveland again. And you've seen him through the years. He knows how to exert pressure publicly. He knows how to do it privately. I thought that was, my sense was, that was much more of a call to arms to the Lake organization than it was a call to Cleveland to, you know, start clearing cap space for me. Or I, I don't think it was that. I, I, think, I think you were reading that perfectly yeah. correct. Where do you see LeBron James's from where he was in Cleveland, All-Star Weekend, going home there, saying some of the things he said? praising who he praised and Sam uh, Preston in Oklahoma City talking about the Cavaliers and then now the LeBron you see coming back you know we'd reported Rich Paul went in and talked to mm-hmm. the Lakers right after all-star break and said hey LeBron is committed to being here he wants to help we, we, like he wants to be here to win more titles I think he tried to I don't want to say walk it back a little bit but clarify to them like we're we're engaged in this we see responsibility across the board. There's accountability to be had in more than one place. And now the LeBron you're seeing this week, when the team's in free fall, Russell Westbrook in his news conferences is striking one kind of a tone. And LeBron, I thought after the Dallas game, there were people critical of LeBron saying he should have been harder on his team and his teammates. And I thought it was just the opposite, that that was a game where they actually competed. Yes. And they play hard. And they weren't good enough. And that if he's going to, that if you're going to just run everybody down after a night like that, you're really going to lose that. The nights where they don't compete, yes. But I thought the Dallas game, he was trying to be positive in that the effort was at least there. And I know that's a very low bar. Right. But I understood 
as a leader, you could you could understand the tone in that game. Yeah, I mean, I had an exchange with him after that game, prefacing a question by bringing up the idea of a moral victory, and I was saying you aren't into moral victories. I understand that. And he's like, well, let's not even go down that road. Okay, that's fine. But then I got to what I was meaning that you did have a guy like Stanley Johnson playing a big game. You had some chemistry between him and Russell or a tap-out rebound, and then Russell cuts back door and LeBron finds him with a zip pass and Russell finishes at the hoop. Like Little moments that if they could continue to replicate these moments, it could start to look better. And he acknowledged that. He accepted that, and he said, yeah, those are the things we got to keep doing. So I don't think he's given up on the, uh, the season at all. I reported earlier this week that there's no plans for him to, you know, quote unquote, shut things down. Uh, there's more to play for. I do find it interesting, though, after the Clippers game, Russell Westbrook said something along the lines of it's very hard for me because my role changes night in, night out. LeBron was asked a question like, what's it like for you to perform well individually this year? while the team is struggling and he said well my job is to continue to find ways to improve i was struggling from the free throw line early in the year i i I did things i could to improve it i was struggling not finishing at the rim the way i normally do i I worked at that to me some of that was a message to russell without saying russell's name being like we could either keep complaining about the lot we've had or we could look inward and, and try to improve individually and that'll help the group lakers warriors saturday night 8 30 eastern on abc dave will be there across the street at crypto the crypto.com arena center i still don't know. i think we're arena? going with arena. arena and the last lakers uh warriors game on abc was a pretty good one it was it was and i will see you over there dave always good to uh talk lakers with you talk hoops and uh We'll see if maybe the Lakers have another run in them. I'm sure we'll be. Te- I'm, du- I'm dubious. I'm sure we'll be texting uh, mm-hmm. the next time the Lakers are down 20 in a game. <laughs> Do we need to monitor anything? <laughs> All right, Dave. Always, always good to catch up, man. Thanks, Adrian. Welcome back in to the Woj Pod. Now to the other side of our Saturday night ABC game, Lakers Warriors. Kendra Andrews, who covers. The Warriors for ESPN joined us. How long have you been here? Feels that, like a while. Like two months. Two maybe? months, give or take. That feels like. It feels like, feel like two years. Yeah, I agree. At this, <laughs> at this place. Uh, no, it's awesome to have you in here, Kendra, covering the Warriors. Who all of a sudden, really, since you showed up for ESPN, have kind of gone in the tank since yeah. you moved over. But you were already covering the team. But now for us, but but obviously their struggles, Kendra, have coincided with. Draymond Green right. and his injury. You th- you had this night where you thought Clay Thompson was coming back and the gang was back together. Draymond Green feels some stiffness in pregame warmups. Thinks better of maybe playing. Came out, you know, essentially just did the jump ball and came out of the game. And we've not seen him since. That was 24 games ago. They were neck and neck with Phoenix for first place at that point, and now. The Warriors are close to falling into third place in the West. Yeah, I mean, they only have a half game up on the Grizzlies, and, and the Grizzlies kind of handed that to them by losing to the Celtics the other night because the Warriors just got completely outworked and outplayed by by Dallas. And it really shows what Draymond means to this team because, as you said, on January 9th, Clay comes back, and that's supposed to be all the pieces coming together. Instead, you lose 
maybe even a more important piece to what the Warriors are trying to do. One coach told me that he is the control center for everything on both ends of the floor. We it's 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 really like hammered down how important he is on defense. But on offense, I mean, he is their primary facilitator. He leads the team in assists, or he did before he went injured. He and Steph Curry have a very established two-man game. And right now, <laughs> the Warriors are just very, very lost without him. And I think at first, you know, when it was just calf tightness, okay, they can survive a couple games without him. But here we are two months later, and they really still haven't figured out how to adjust without Draymond. Yeah, you you wrote about this on ESPN.com, story posted on Friday morning, uh, really digging into not just the impact, and people talk about it, the impact defensively. And Draymond is a Draymond Green is a former defensive player of the year, a first-team all-defensive player, and perhaps a player who was on his way to win that award again this year. But not just the impact defensively, but how it's been felt offensively yeah. and what they've lost on both ends of the floor, Kendra. Yeah. Like I said, you know, facilitating is is one of the biggest things, the playmaking, the IQ that Draymond Green brings. And it was interesting. I was talking to Steve Kerr about this, and we were talking about Jordan Poole, actually. And I was asking Steve, what impact has Clay's return had on Jordan? Because that's the very obvious, right? Jordan moves to the bench. He's not starting anymore, but he is sometimes because Clay's not starting every game or he's not playing every game. And Steve said, actually, I think Draymond's absence has had just as big, if not bigger, impact on a guy like Jordan because you lose Draymond's playmaking, facilitating, ball handling. Now you're having Jordan Poole do that, who wasn't really doing that before. And we've seen Jordan struggle. He's he's struggling to acclimate to this new role. So it's it's, it's a lot of little things that are then building up. You know, you're, you're asking a guy like Jonathan Kaminga to now step up, and he's done a good job for them, but... He's a rookie. He's not Draymond Green. You're asking Gary Payton II to step up. He's six foot three. He can't battle with those bigs as a small, as Draymond does in small ball. It's it's a lot of things that not one person is going to fill or is going to be able to replace him. Um, but they're struggling to even find combinations of people to, to be able to. But it's really, he drives the pace. Steve talked a lot about that, how this this team is a very quick team naturally. And Draymond is at the helm of that. And so without him, you're losing your pace, you're losing your defense, you're losing facilitating. And it's it's been hard for the Warriors to find where to go to get that. I, I think when a team is struggling like this, Kendra, and a player like Draymond is out, you're always trying to measure how much of it is his absence and how much of it is other things that aren't going to just automatically be fixed because he shows back up. Steph Curry has not shot the ball well. Mm-hmm. Early in the season, he was on a great run. That has subsided. Clay Thompson, you know, he was sick for a few days. He's out. Now he's trying to work his way back in. And this is a team that, and you said Jordan Poole, the world change has changed a player who was, you know, offensively was a revelation early this season. How much of it do you sense, Kendra, with this organization is that we cannot, that this isn't as simply well, when we get Draymond back, it's all going to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, is that underselling some of the issues this team has right now? You know, it might be because, as you said, going down that list, one of those things, Steph Curry, you know, he was struggling when Draymond was out there. Maybe he was getting far more open looks than he is getting right now. But, you know, it's something Steph admitted to. He said, I'm just missing the shots. I'm getting good looks, but I'm missing them. So that's something that has no impact on Draymond again. Clay Thompson and his his – his status, whether it's his health or just finding his rhythm, that is 100% on Clay. Clay owns up to that too. After the game in Dallas the other night, he said, I frankly just have to play better. I hold myself to 
far higher standards than what I'm playing. So it is one of those things that, yeah, adding Draymond back into the mix is going to take care of a lot of the, like, not fringe issues, but but issues at large. But there are individual issues that individual players have to work on themselves, and, and that's that's it. But the hope is that, at least by having Draymond around the team now, which he is back with them traveling on the back end of this road trip, that just having him there and being vocal, he was up coaching all game through that Dallas game, is going to help get people feel feeling good again having fun again because it doesn't seem like they're having much joy right now in that locker room you know Draymond is just he is one of the most remarkable players I think of any era but of this era and I think organizations sometimes finding guys who bring all the intangibles he does it might be getting harder to find you you when you talk to people like there's times where that that guy who can hold everybody in your group together and do it at an all NBA level and the impact he's had on that team and the personalities mm. through the years, how he complimented clay and Steph and his relationship with Kevin Durant that got Kevin Durant that played a big role in Kevin Durant coming and the, I don't want to say the unraveling of their relationship with him leaving. He right. didn't leave. Kevin Durant did not leave because of Draymond green, but we saw what transpired in the last year and there. And, and he is central to everything that organization does. And I think sometimes it takes him to be out and to have, because everyone else was back. But with him out, it's like a ball of string that kind of starts unwinding. And I think there's sometimes a greater appreciation for him when he's not playing than when he is, because it doesn't always show up. It doesn't always show up in the numbers mm-hmm. with him. Completely. I was actually talking with Steve Kerr about this the other day, and he went down list. He goes, you know, when you when you watch Steph Curry play, when you watch Klay Thompson play, when you watch Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, it's very evident on paper what they brought to this team. But as you're saying, Woj, with Draymond, a lot of people don't like to give him as much credit as as maybe he he deserves he definitely deserves and you're seeing now when he's gone how important he is to this team and how you know Stephen Curry is the centerpiece of the Warriors but it will not work without Draymond Green he is you know just important to this team as Steph and and it's really showing right now even with all the other pieces back with Clay back with with Steph healthy all these other things without Draymond Green everything else kind of falls apart do you sense any concern around that organization about seeding, about falling to third, what that does in the playoff structure in the West, or do they just want to be playing better? They just want to be playing better right now. They're they're not concerning themselves too much with the seeding because the what, the way that they've at least you know spoken about it is we have to win on the road either way, whether it's home or whether you're you're the one seed, the two seed, whatever it is, you need to get wins on the road in a playoff series. Yes, being lower down is going to make you have to do that more. But right now, they're just concerned with staying competitive. Uh, you know, if, they, if that means dropping down to the three seed, but figuring out how to get it together by the playoffs, then they'll take it because they believe that at full strength with everyone playing well, they can win a championship. That being said, you know, if we're getting closer and closer to the end of the season, and they're still playing as they are, then I think that's when they really get concerned, not just about seeding, but everything else that comes with it, the teams that they're going to be facing in that scenario, some pretty bad matchups that they're going to want to avoid for as long as possible. And that's when it starts to get tricky. Draymond Green said, I think Thursday night, probably a couple weeks 
still a couple mm-hmm. weeks away from coming back. The James Weissman thing has been just, it's been interesting. And yes. it's been two years of this. And it does seem like he's going to play. He's going to come back. How much, if any, do you think they're counting on him to play a role on this team? I don't think they are counting on him to 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 play a role on this team. You know, I've been told, look, when he is healthy, will he see some minutes here and there? Yes. You know, if they're playing a really big team and they just need some size out there, yeah, he'll see some some time, but maybe that's going to be five or ten minutes. That's not going to be a, a rotational position, especially in the playoffs, because regardless of anything else, he hasn't played in a year. There were 10 months where he didn't do any kind of basketball activity. So when you get to the playoffs, your rotation is already shrinking. Uh, you have Steve Kerr pro- proclaiming Jonathan Kaminga is part of the rotation. The other night he was committed to getting uh, Moses Moody more minutes. So he's not going to then, and that's because they have earned his trust, right. Steve says. So he's not going to turn to a 20, 21-year-old who hasn't played in a year and say, go win us yeah. a playoff hasn't, hasn't, series. Hasn't played in a year and then came out of yeah. Memphis where he three played three games. games. Exactly, exactly. He hasn't played a lot of, ba- he hasn't played a lot of high-level basketball. He's very no. talented, but you're right. I think, listen, this is a team that, you know, you've seen the production they've gotten, especially Jonathan Kaminga. They, mm-hmm. they hit. They've got those two lottery picks this past year, and they hit on them. And, you know, it's funny. Very few teams could have the number two pick in the draft and really not get anything out of them for a couple years and not feel the impact of that. But the Warriors have been able to do that because of how they – it's the perfect scenario. You have a championship team. If you're going to be bad, if you're going to have some injuries, be really bad for Mm -hmm. a year. Get the high pick. But what they were able to do was the D'Angelo Russell deal – and then flip him again, and then all of a sudden you got another you got another high pick, and you know they, they've been able to survive it. But it is a team that needs size, mm-hmm. and that has you know it's it's the one hole where you do see a scenario where if he's healthy, is there a playoff series? Is there a game? Can he get you through a quarter? Can he get you through a few possessions right. with an injury and somebody in foul trouble? To me, that's what I would imagine in the best case scenario. Mm-hmm you're going to get out of James Weissman this year. Yeah, and you remember his his rookie year when he was playing. I mean, fouling was such an issue, right? He just wasn't disciplined, and there's no way that he could have learned how to become that much more disciplined without playing. And I see him a lot working with with their player development coach, someone who worked with Nikola Jokic and really made him who he is. So he's great with big men, and I see them working a lot on timing and, and defending. But you need game reps, and the playoffs aren't where you're going to get your first real sample size of that. Absolutely. Kendra, great to have you on the pod. I know I'll see you across the street Saturday night, Lakers-Warriors. But neither team is playing very well. This <laughs> this was a very different game. This was imagined to be a very different Saturday yes. night ABC game when it was scheduled. But people will be watching. Steph and LeBron, those are still the two players in this league that – people watch and so i'll see you there and uh thanks for jumping in kendra thanks for having me thanks for listening to this episode of the woge pod a big thank you to my guests espn's dave mcminiman and kendra andrews be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the woge pod wherever you get your podcasts be sure to also listen to the low post with zach lowe and the hoop collective with host brian windhorst we'll catch you next time
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.